Well, listeners, according to, to, to well, actually, <laughs> in fact, in, despite all the odds against our connecting, we are connected now, and we're going to be talking to Louis Chester. Um, Louis, is the Girard is a French uh, Basset or Basset Foundation. Is Girard Basset Foundation. Okay, great. And um, I was quite taken. I read a, a, a news a release of, of some, I can't remember from who, um, about the Golden Vines Awards and and the foundation and its mission. And tell us, starting with the history, I mean, this was named, established and named for somebody named Gérard Basset. Yes. Who was who? Yes. Okay, so Gérard uh, was the only person to hold the Master of Wine and Master Sommelier and be world champion Sommelier. Um, he had a lot more academic wine academic qualifications, including a wine MBA and an OIV Master in Wine Science. Um, he also was the founder of Hotel du Vin, which was a wine-inspired themed hotel group that was sold to private equity a number of years ago. And unfortunately, Gerard died of esophageal cancer three and a oh, half no. years ago. But, but Gerard was an inspiration to many in the wine industry, wine and hospitality industry, and he mentored and trained most of the top sommelier and restaurateurs in London and Paris that are, are today, you know, running all of the major establishments. So he was very loved. And my history with him, or really how I got involved in doing what we're doing, goes back to Harvard Business School in the late 90s, where I started a wine, cigar, and whiskey club called the Churchill Club. And yeah. um, it still exists today under a different name. But um, when I came back to the UK, uh, I became a collector of whiskey and, and wine and got very into it. Um, but it was only when I met Gérard uh, that he really encouraged me to do wine education. And so I ended up doing uh, my WSET diploma. And then Gérard wanted me to do the Master of Wine, and my wife, Natalie, said, no way, it causes... <laughs> it's intensive, intensive. Yep. It's very intensive. Uh, so Gérard said, don't worry, why don't we start a wine company as your alternative Master of Wine? So we started <laughs> Liquid Icons, really, as, as that vehicle, and then when he started to get ill from the cancer, I started this uh, report which uh, was done through polling uh, members of the fine wine industry, so masters of wine, master sommelier, uh, sommelier from Michelin star restaurants, wine merchants and brokers, wine press, wine media. And they completed a survey and we did a, uh, a report which is now called the Gérard Basset Global Fine Wine Report. And oh. this year we had 950 members of the fine wine industry with an average experience of more than 14 years in the industry wow. from, 100, from 108 countries completing the survey. That's anyway, amazing, absolutely I amazing. And actually, aren't you I think, surprised? Aren't you surprised by yeah, this? 40, I think 43% of our respondents were from either Canada or America, so North America. Okay. So it's become very global. Um, Anyway, a number of years ago, I was having a lunch at one of my favorite restaurants. It's a two-star Michelin called A Wong, a Chinese restaurant in Victoria, right, in London. It's been there forever. Yeah. And I was with uh, Clement Robert, who's a master sommelier and runs Annabelle's and the Burley Clubs. And we were having a vertical of Clos Anun from Turnbach, one of my favorite wines, and uh, got a little bit drunk, and I said to him, listen, Clement, I have this crazy, crazy idea. Why don't we take the winners in my report and create the Oscars of fine wine? It's never been done before. And why don't we do it in a really glamorous way? Because Natalie, my wife, hates going 
to wine events. She finds them really boring and the people really boring. <laughs> Maybe if we can do something with incredible food and wine and entertainment, she'll come. So that was the inspiration. And then because I've never made money out of wine, I thought, well, why don't I do it for charity? So I called Nina, Gerard's widow, and I said, look, I have this crazy idea to do the Oscars of fine wine, but why don't we form a foundation in Gerard's name and we'll raise money for the foundation. So we set it up with Jancis Robinson, OBE, oh, yeah. and love you. Yeah, okay. yeah, which and I think we've with, interviewed him. Okay, her, yes, Jancis. Oh, have we interviewed her? Robert. We have, we have. Yeah. Okay. You probably, you probably and have Ian Harris. in this. You probably have Steve yes. in there too, somewhere, right? Well, Stephen's passed away, unfortunately, but yeah, um, yeah. so he's no longer with us. But uh, Ian Harris, who was the CEO of the WSCT, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, where I got my diploma, he's also involved. And we chose diversity and inclusivity in wine, and now it's wine, spirit, and hospitality, because we wanted a... A, a cause that would be good for Gerard's legacy, and B, we wanted to solve a big problem in, in the world of wine. And we knew that this was a big problem. Now, in America, you're way ahead of the curve, like in, in most things, but in Europe, you know, there aren't any uh, people of color who are sommeliers. There aren't yeah. any uh, people of color who are masters of wine. So yeah. uh, that's how we started, and it went from there. Yeah, we we just had a, a, some kind of a, a big meeting of um, the black sommeliers in Pittsburgh, um, and it was uh, the guest speaker was uh, uh, Cecil Usher. I don't know if you know him at all. I don't but, know him. No. But he's uh, he's like a figurehead. Um, that and and who is the black winemaker in um, Oregon or Seattle? Seattle Rabbit. That we met. In Seattle? The one you're thinking of was from Texas. Yeah, he was from Texas, but where is, he, where is his vineyard? Uh, you're, you're talking about D. Lynn Proctor at um, Chateau Potel, maybe? No, I don't no. think so. He, he, I can't called, remember his he, he called himself Mac. Mac. Like I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, to be honest. Very wild what, looking so guy. I mean, he caught so our attention at an event because he looked so not the typical wine and spirits guy. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So. Well, uh, so, so anyway, going back to the story, we had our, our first event, Golden Vines event in London last year. And, and then this year finished last week. So we had a three-day event in Florence. I thought it was Florence, and 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 our yeah. friend um, uh, cooked or, or orchestrated the kitchen, I guess. Massimo, Massimo Bottura. Yeah, Massimo Bottura, yes. So Massimo yeah. cooked. Uh, it was in the Salone di Quintocento in the Palazzo Vecchio. Oh wow! Now, I went to school in Florence. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. So it was I never incredible. got to. I never got to go to a party there, though. <laughs> <laughs> and we had also a, a charity gala the night before at Tepidarium del Rosto, which is this beautiful 18th century glass house. And um, we had Davide Aldani, a two-star chef, cooking for that uh, event. Wow. Uh, and we had a series of master classes from the likes of Don Perignon and Hennessy and Charles Le Chau from Domaine Arlo Le Chau in Burgundy and Istvan Shepsi, who was one of the winners this year in the awards from Hungary, and four Montalcino producers. So we had uh, Biondi Santi, uh, Il Maranetto, Castiglion del Bosco, and Casanova Dineri present. And then wow. we did a series of lunches as well, including Ferragamo did a lunch, and uh, Antonoi yeah, did a course. lunch. Of course. And Bibi and Bibi Gratz. So, and we raised um, well over a million pounds from wow. uh, the auction. And we do a number. Of, so the funding goes in sort of two different directions. So firstly, we have our own Golden Vines scholarships around wine and spirits. 
always diversity and inclusivity, and they're typically sponsored. So we have one with t- uh, three with Taylor's Port that are worth £55,000 each for the wow. Master of Wine and Master Sommelier, and an internship, one with Hennessy, the same amount, but with a 12-month internship at Hennessy. And we have three, four with Dom Perignon, and also we have one with the Brooklyn Nets, which is uh, around the OIV pr- program. Uh, so that's the Master uh, of Science, uh, Science in Wine. And we also have five with uh, Artemis domains around uh, victims of conflict. So obviously aimed at Ukrainian displaced oh, wow. winemakers or, or people in the wine industry. Um, so those are our own scholarships. And then uh, also we have institutional community partners that apply for funding through our website. And last year we distributed to 14 groups in America to the University of California at Davis for a yeah, summer wow. program. And uh, also a number of projects on the West Coast. On the East Coast, we funded uh, Wine on Wheels around disability students. Oh, wow. Uh, But also we did Indigenous Peoples in uh, Okanagan Valley in Canada and also through University of Adelaide in Australia. Um, We did a program in South Africa with black winemakers through the Pinatage Youth Development Project and uh, with the Africa Wine Group in um, Ghana. And this year we're going to be doing uh, programs as well in Israel and in India, uh, all over the place. So it's very much international. Uh, it would be very easy to spend all the money in America, but the, the real problem, funny enough, is outside of America. America as I said, ahead of the curve. So it's really... Um, much wider than that, and it's much more international. So that's kind of what we do. Yeah, we we used to live in Australia, and um, we went to uh, what, what was it where we had the the first family of Australian wines? Rather, we went to something. Oh right, yes, yes. And and uh, it was filled with these multi generational wine houses, you know. But um, there wasn't a black face in the whole. Room. No, no. There were some people, so, with, people, with, some people with good suntans. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it, it's, it's, it's worse than that because in Australia, there's a problem with women in wine as well. So there aren't that many women in the wine industry. So we funded a program uh, around women and the WOCT program as well in Australia. And the same kind of issues in Japan. So that's why we have a scholar, oh, yeah. for, uh, a female scholar in Japan. So, it, as I said, it's we, we're dealing with the following areas where there are problems: so people of color, disability, women in certain countries, and obviously economically disadvantaged as well. So those are sort of our touch points at the moment that we're we're looking to fund, uh, or and have funded. Well, you're not going to run out of issues. <laughs> Hold on a minute. No, would it, would it be of interest to you in Australia to get in touch with the first families of wine? Of course. Cause, because they, a, a leader of that whole movement is named Tyrrell. And he, he's yes, I know Tyrrell. Well, I mean, I know of Tyrrell, yeah. He, he would, to be he honest, would, he would uh, we'd love to. to. I mean, to be honest, yeah. Australia has been a real problem. We had 108 auction lots from fine wine estates all over the world, loads yeah. from California and from Burgundy and from Bordeaux and Champagne and Germany and South Africa and South America. We only had one from Australia, which was Penfolds, which is really an international company. We have really struggled to get uh, support from the Australian wine industry. You know, they're um, much better now than they used to be, to tell you the truth. Because when we lived there, which was back in the 70s, I mean, it was awful. And forget women. I mean, they were really hostile to anybody um, in Asia, to women, to people of color. You know, I mean, <laughs> so uh, it, they've, they've made some progress, but it's a shame to hear that they're still so, yeah, so far behind. 
Bit it's been a nightmare. That particular region has, has been extremely difficult for me, so we've just not cracked it at all. Uh, so any help, uh, much Bruce, appreciated. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Terrell would be the guy, but I, do, I don't think I have a recent contact with him. The last time we talked to him was at the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, mm. which, which, by the way, well, would, be, would be a good touch point for you as well. Yeah, I'm... I'm open to all suggestions. Well, so. there, there, there's no shortage of opportunity for improvement, I can tell you that much. <laughs> no, so. but the, we're, we're, as far as Golden Vines, it, we just finished Florence. It's year two. Next year we're in Paris. We have uh, a four hands in terms of the chefs, which is Alain Ducasse and Akram are our four hands for, for the main event. Um, as chefs we have incredible wines so uh, I can tell you that one of the wines we're serving is the world's most expensive red wine on release called Liba Pater which he only makes 700 bottles and they sell at £30,000 each but uh, Lloyd Pasquet is a very close friend so he's given me 120 bottles for Paris so I mean it's quite an incredible uh, thing so we um, and then we were, we were thinking of going to America in 2024, but I think it might be too early, too much of a, uh, you know, too, everything's double the price in America. So doing an event, everything is, is just double. And obviously site visits, you have to go. You know, we went to Florence four or five times before the event. You know, mm-hmm. Can you imagine flying from London to Miami or New York or wherever we do it four or five times? I mean, it's a fortune, right? So... Uh, the answer is I don't know when we'll come to the States, but we, I think we won't be coming in 2024 now. We'll probably stay in Europe. Right. Well, I mean, of course, everything's up everywhere, but, I mean, the UK, <laughs> talk about being in the news. <laughs> What's yes, going to happen we, next there? Yes, I did get a call from uh, Downing Street earlier asking if I wanted to put my name in the hat. But <laughs> Hugh Gatesco will be turning it over in his grave. <laughs> well, you know, the, the nice, I suppose the, the one thing about the UK as compared with America, if I was going to make a comment, was, you know, we're a very centrist society. So even our left or our right, we never go too far left or too far right. I mean, mm-hmm. the, obviously the previous head of the, the Labour Party was a nutter, Corbyn and that, but he obviously got nowhere. But in America, you seem to be much more uh, on the, you know, extremes of right and left these days. Hey, look at what's uh, coming up, you know. (laughs) Are we going to have a rerun of of Biden versus Trump? I mean, geez. We we were hoping to send you Boris. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, well, you do this. You do this, mm-hmm. by the way, in addition to running your company? Yeah, so, so I do this purely philanthropically, um, and I kind of retired uh, about 15 months ago to focus on my wine pursuits. So I do okay. do other things, uh, but um, this has very much taken over my life. I didn't think... Well, I was, that's what I was thinking. When you were talking about all that you, you have a hand in. I'm thinking, how do you run a company and, and still do all of that with the fundraising yeah, and so the I, networking? So, so yeah, so I, but, but nonetheless, um, you know, ideally in the future, you know, I'd become more of a chairman role and less involved on, in the nitty-gritty, but it, it might take a few years to get to that position because the wine world and obviously the culinary world is, is very much relationship based and so everybody wants to to talk to me or deal with me it's it's very hard to ask people to donate wine or an auction lot or whatever through somebody else so it's very much relationship driven um but you know the aim in the future is is obviously to be less dependent on on myself and obviously we have nina basset and romane her son who's very much running the sort of the part of the foundation that deals with who we're going to fund and uh, the scholarships and so forth. 
So I do have help, and I have Sasha Lushnikov and uh, Liv Parrott who help me on the events, and Sasha does all of our reports. And you know, so it's a very small team, but we do a lot. Maybe too many. You things, certainly but do. There we go. I mean, it's such a challenge having everything spread out, not even just geographically, but culturally. I mean, you're talking about Japan. And that's a stretch, isn't it? I mean, they're not sure they will let women handle sushi because their hands are too warm. (laughs) Well, we're we're literally trying to change the face of the wine industry and now obviously hospitality and, and, and spirits. Um, but as I said, there's sort of uh, the other goal is around the awards, and, and that's interesting. So l- let me tell you a little bit about that. So, oh, please, yeah, the, do. What, yeah. So the way that the, the wine industry is judged is typically a small number, might be one or a few experts, critics, rate individual wines and give them points. And that came from Robert Parker. Um, yeah. I'm sure you know. And um, obviously a lot of the top fine wine houses don't even submit their wines for, for tasting. So it's become, um, you know, less and less about the very best wines and just whoever is willing to, to be tasted. What I wanted to do is create the Ballon d'Or, the Oscars of fine wine. So... And not about an individual wine from an individual vintage, but about the whole estate, because the very best domains in the world make great wines across their ranges. You know, if you go to Burgundy, they might make 15 or 20 wines. In, mm-hmm. in Bordeaux, they typically make two or three. But, you know, all of their wines at the very top end are, are great. So what I wanted to do was not do it off one expert or a small group, but as you heard, I've got 950 yeah. uh, people this year that, that voted, and it's, it's, um, it's much more democratic, and it's much more insightful. And next year, we're adding two new groups of voters. So people in the wine industry who make wine will be able to vote as long as they don't vote for themselves or a sister company or somebody from their sub-appellation. So if they're from Poyac in Bordeaux, they can't vote for somebody else in Poyac. Or if they're from Maurice Saint-Denis in Burgundy, they can't vote for somebody else from Maurice Saint-Denis. And then we're also going to allow um, professional collectors, so people who really understand wine, who have more than 10 years of experience of collecting wine, they should vote because they know the wines better than many people. So those two new groups, and once we have that, we'll have every stakeholder in the fine wine industry voting. Um, And we might end up with 2,000 or 3,000 voters. And so it really will become definitive. And the nice thing about having a Ballon d'Or, which is for football, soccer, as you call it, or the Oscars, is everyone remembers it. You know, it's, it's, everyone remembers who the winners are because it's easy to remember. Whereas who can remember who wine advocate or wine spectator gave the most points for the 2019 vintage of Bordeaux? I mean, no one can remember that. I mean, and, and you can only remember it if you're a subscriber to, to wine spectator. So it's not, it's not very easily accessible. So that's what we're doing on the sort of awards side. It's really intentionally trying to disrupt and, and make uh, fine wine more accessible for the general public to know who the best of the best is, just like they do with the Oscars or the Ballon d'Or. Now, do, you, do you do spirits as well? We do, and, and next year there will be an award for the best spirit brand as well. Uh, and at the event, we served this year uh, Richard Hennessy, which is the top cognac. It's £4,000 a bottle. Uh, £4,000 bottle? Really? Yeah, that was, that was donated for one of oh. the dinners. And we also served the Macallan, which is obviously one of the best yeah, whiskey brands. So we served that too. Um, so we do incorporate spirits. But as I said, uh, from next year, there will be actually a spirits award. Now I wanted. To, now I was. I was leading up to an, an introduction that, that might be useful, but might might be too narrow. Our, our good friends, 
the Nonino family oh. of, of, of Italy's uh, Grappa. Grappa region. Ah, Grappa. Yeah, unfortunately, we are. The whole event is really, in terms of the golden vines, not about the charity, but everything we do is around the best of the best. So fine wine, fine spirit. Um, and so what I'm, so it wouldn't be Grappa because Grappa, even if you like the product, it's not a, far, <laughs> it's not a rare spirit. So we need rare spirits, things that, uh, you know, if it's whiskey or cognac, they age forever, as you know, and they're really, you know, at the top end, they're top class products. Um, so that's the ethos of Golden Vines is the best of the best. The wines we served this year included Cheval Blanc, Chateau d'Iquem, Salaya from Tuscany. Uh, we had a... The did, you have, did you have champagne from Britain? <laughs> We did not. We had, we had, we served Krug 2000 and uh, we served uh, Dom Perignon P2 2004 and Dom Rinard Rosé uh, 2007 and Dom Perignon Rosé 2008 across the different events. So again, the very best champagnes. Yes, we did not have Salon, but they don't make enough wine, enough champagne to, to give us. But, um, uh, yeah, it's really, as I said, it's the best food. So last year, the, the chef last year was Mauro Colagreco from Mirazor. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. We know yeah. Um, and his food was incredible. And as, as you know, Massimo this year, fantastic. Massimo is an incredible person. Of course, he's married to an yeah. American, too, you know. Do, do, I do didn't know that, it, but yeah. She's it. American. She's, she comes from the... Um, uh, the Kodak, what's the other, the partner the of Eastman, Kodak? The Eastman family. Eastman, Eastman family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. but, do yeah. Your, do yourself a favor. Take, 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 take a little bit of a look at Nonino. You'll be, you'll be amazed. The, the head of the family, who is the only guy involved, in, essentially in, invented gourmet grappa. Okay, yeah. I'm looking well, at that I mean, right well, it's, it's very different from um, when I was in a student in Florence. Of course, we didn't have any money either. But it was like the cheapest thing we could drink was grappa. And it was like right. gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But um, once um, his daughters got involved, I mean, we did actually a, a lunch grappa tasting. They paired grappa with every course but the fish course. And it was certainly well, interesting. I, I have to tell you, personally, I find it a difficult drink to, to, to have, but, you know, that's me. Well, it's a but little, it's a little no, no. difficult. Yes, I think you're right. Mm. So, um, well, but, well you, you're doing such a great job. Um, I could say that we even have um, organizations in in the states uh, for women uh, sommeliers and and winemakers. Well, uh, we, we we deal with quite a few of them, so um, yeah. including people like Victoria James, who's a supporter um, uh, of us, um, and women in wine, uh, which is in the states. So we, we yeah, yeah women in wine, we know them too. Uh, and uh, and the, uh, the the Somme uh, at uh, La Bernadette, she's no longer there. I can't remember where she went, but uh, she was a woman. And uh, that's, I mean, it's a pretty lofty sommelier Well, post. I'll tell you something interesting. We're at our Saturday charity gala in Florence at the Tepidarium. We brought all the winemakers on stage who had donated the wines, and they were all women winemakers, except really? for the. Te we, we also had Taylor's Port 1970, which was <laughs> fantastic, where we had Adrian Bridge from Taylor's Port. But everyone else was was uh, was female, so uh, it was very very interesting to see all the women winemakers. There. Well, I, I heard somewhere, although I'm not sure it's true, that uh, 90% of the winemakers in Rioja are women. Rioja or Rioja? Uh, Rioja in, in America or Rioja in no, no, Spain? No, no, Rioja in, in Spain. 
Ah, Rioja. Um, I don't know the answer to that question, I'm yeah. afraid. So I can't, it I can't seems a bit extreme, actually. I'm not so sure it's correct. But, um, I mean, they have found a place in, in, in that wine region. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it, there are differences, major differences, in wines that appeal to uh, to women and that are created by women as opposed to wines created by men in many. Uh, the one that comes to mind is, uh, what's her name in um, Abruzzo, Abbott? Pepe. Um, yeah, Pepe. So you're talking. Yes, yeah, so she Pepe. was. Pepe. No, you're talking about Chiara Pepe. And uh, Chiara, uh, who now runs the estate, um, yeah. she was at the event and she donated uh, her Trebbiano de Bruzio 2004, right. which was fantastic. So Chiara she's was wonderful. there. She's Yeah, she's lovely. Um, and uh, so she was there, yeah. Well, I mean, it is a small club, isn't it, all of us that are interested in this? Well, at, but at, you're at doing a great job. Wine, yeah. At the fine wine level, it's obviously, you know, there are only less than 500 estates worldwide, mm-hmm. maybe a lot less than 500 that are really fine wine. Um, obviously, the wine industry is much broader than that, but this is re- the reason why... Uh, I did the Golden Vines. The event is really because my expertise and my knowledge and my interest is in the fine wine sector. Obviously, the foundations work is across you know all areas of the of the wine right. world. But I really wanted to do something at the fine wine level because there isn't an event where you can go and you can have unlimited amounts of Cheval Blanc or Domaine de la Romanie Conti or <laughs> Chiara's wine or, you know, all in the same place. So, um, and uh, no one runs out of, of drinking wine at our events. So we, we always make sure each estate donates enough bottles that you never run out. And indeed, we, we never ran out last year and we never ran out this year. It always comes close, but we never quite <laughs> run out. So, uh, I, but, uh, the, the ultimate question is, is this all posh enough for your wife? <laughs> it's not a posh thing. It's more of a fun thing. So as I said, she, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people who aren't geeks, and I'm a geek, right? So I'm a wine geek. Uh, <laughs> but if you're not a wine geek, you just like wine. You, you don't want to go to a wine at a typical wine event because it will bore the pants out off you, right? <laughs> and everyone's, all they're doing is talking about this vintage or what they thought of that, or, you know, they're trying to outdo each other with their knowledge. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people are turned off by that. So I wanted mm-hmm. to do an event where people would really have fun. And so uh, this year's event, we had incredible entertainment. So we had Celeste, uh, uh, oh, yes, I read uh, that World Pop Store. We had um, uh, also Alessandro Rostini and the Portofinos, who was incredible fun. And we had a lot of other acts. Um, Ronan oh, yeah. Keating was and his wife uh, Storm were our hosts, and Ronan sang. Uh, so uh, last year we had Kylie Minogue singing. Um, so, uh, you know, we, it, it needs to, to, be, to appeal to those who don't want to just talk about wine all night. We respect the wines because we have all the winemakers there, and we talk about the wines and the winners of the awards. But we also want people to, to have fun and have... Uh, you know, come back and they say it's an incredible event, not just an incredible wine event. What I'm aiming to do is create the world's best event, not just wine event. happens to be around wine and food, but I want it to be the world's best event. So, you know, when I compare with, say, um, the Met Gala or Amphar, these are for much larger audiences. They're for a thousand yeah. people or something. The food is average and the wine is terrible, right? So yeah. they might have lots of A-list and celebrities, but you know, it's you, I I don't know about you, but when I go to an event, I, I don't expect great wines and great food, but I'd love there to be great wines and great food. Yeah. This event is you know everything. It's it's never going to be more than 275 people because we can't find enough domains to give us enough wines for more than that, and we can't find a three-star Michelin chef 
who will agree to cook for more than that number of people with the quality right. at the level that they want. So it's never going to be more than 275 people, which is still a lot of people, but it's not in the realms of Met Gala or, or yeah. Amphar. But, the uh, so that's my goal, is yeah. to be the world's best event. Great. Well, Lewis Chester, I, I'm so delighted that I found you. <laughs> and I hope Thank we you. have a, a lot more interaction in future years. Uh, again, listeners, um, check out um, the Gerard Basset Foundation and all its history, its mission, and, and especially the ultimate events that they are really committed yeah, so to. They're, they're, just so you're aware, that the, the way we divide things is liquid icons. So our website is www.liquidicons.com, as it sounds. Okay. That's where we do the event, and we also run all the scholarships. And then the foundation really is just the beneficiary of the money and distributes the money, and uh, that is gerardbassetfoundation.org. Um, but if, you, if any of your listeners are interested in coming to Paris, um, then they can reach out to us through the liquidicons.com website. Uh, I'll give you the dates. It's the 13th, Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th of October 2023. Hey, it's a thought. I'm putting it on my calendar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, go get it, my friend. Yeah. Okay, thank you very delight. much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, we're going to be talking to Julian Klaus Ellers. Is that hyphenated? It is hyphenated. It is. Um, and, and you are a chef yes. um, and a dad, um, and yes. it, it is kind of unusual. We don't run into this situation very often, but um, a chef marries a, a psychi- psychologist or is a psychiatrist. Right. So, so um, you know, our chosen careers couldn't be polar opposite you know she exactly. went to 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 school um including uh columbia university and, and oberlin college and um you know she got her her doctorate in um psychology at uh, uh columbia teachers college and you know my my training was very different my training was in in um big hotels in london and then subsequently uh, I went off to France for five years and worked in, you know, two and three star Michelin restaurants all throughout France and had the best time ever. And then, <laughs> you know, then you came back to the UK um, and worked in, in a lovely country house hotel in, in the Cotswolds and then subsequently had my own restaurant just near Oxford. So and then and then I met my wife and ended up in New York City. So things kind of, you know, move, <laughs> now, move along. Where, where was the place you stayed in the Cotswolds? We, we, we were there oh, two so, or three times. Okay, so I was at um, I was at a uh, country house hotel called Lower Slaughter Manor, and that's right near Borton on the Water, between Borton on the Water and um, Stone the Wold. We we were there. Oh, you were there? Seriously, it's, we, it's, we stayed there. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So it's a lovely, lovely hotel, and I'm actually still in touch with the owner. He he sold that that hotel, and he's now living in Arizona. Um, with his wife and his daughter, and, and we're still in touch, which is very nice. So all now these we, years we, later, we, we have di- we have discovered that in fact our pants crossed quite a quite a few times, including a connection with a property called Clifton, which we interviewed the the uh, the owners and children growing up, and it turns it turns out you were there too. 
I, I was very much there. I, I grew up literally um, a stone's throw from Clifton. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful house um, uh, looking over the, the Thames and uh, Windsor. And um, it's, it's a really spectacular place. And that's, yes, I, I grew up literally right there. Not, not in Clifton. Now, for, the, for, those, for those people who are interested in a little scandal, they, 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 could do well, they could do well to explore the history of Clifton. Well, but it has lost the history besides the scandal. It's just that it was hit you at a certain time in your life. That's <laughs> why you remember it right. always. Now, I mean, we're back <laughs> to this odd combination here of um, a chef and, and a psychologist. Um, yes. And, and, but it, it took... And, and parents, you know, which is the hook on this whole thing, of course. But it took the pandemic to actually um, have you sort through all of your ideas and experiences to put together a book called Eating Together, Being Together. Um, it, it must have been, if I read this book correctly, you were also not working at the time, right? Absolutely. No, I was, you know, as everything was, you know, uh, touched by COVID, um, especially the, you know, the hospitality business globally and, and particularly where I live in, in New York City, we were, it was a devastating time in many ways. Um, the silver lining for us was we actually managed to spend time together as a family, which was the first time since our marriage. Um, and, uh, you know, the cat, kids had me for 24 hours a day and so did my wife. And, and, and uh, it, was very, it was very special in that way. And, you know, this, this idea for this book, we'd had, we'd had a, a, an inkling of a thought many years ago about doing something together. And we just didn't have the time or the, the energy or the, you know, the, the background to really pull something together. But during COVID, it really... Um, solidified and became a, a reality, and, and you know we worked on it, and um, and we're very proud. You know, it's 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 a really interesting, it's an interesting marriage, not just uh, you know of our professions, and 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 also being parents. So it, hopefully, it, it speaks to many people. Well, yeah, I mean, there you subtitled this recipes, activities, and advice from a chef dad and psychologist mom and uh, it has been a really interesting experience for all of you and and the children i mean i know um our grandchildren for example um went through an interesting phase not being in school and and your yours are so spaced out how yes how tell us the ages of so, what so you're our, talking our, about our eldest is 19. She's in college. Uh, our middle child is 17, and she's doing her last year of high school. And we have a first grader as well. So um, we have the, 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 a, a nice mix. So we've, you know, we practiced on our, on our two elders, and, and now the, the, the young one is getting the full benefit <laughs> of all our expertise. <laughs> um, so, so you know, it really is. You know, the the real smart stuff is from my wife because she's so smart, and the, there are really <laughs> interesting um, ways of looking at relationships and and within a family setting, and and you know, but we we really felt that also the the um, the location of 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 you know, it, it's a kind of a neutral ground. The kitchen, it's like you know, everybody's doing something. They're working as a team to produce something and and um you know it's a kind of a a, a level playing field so we right. thought that <clears throat> so it really it, it it enables um a family to talk about you know not just di you know about different things as well about uh about what's going on at school about what's going on with friends about um worries about um you know a plethora of, of different things that you know kids come up against and um so we really feel that 
so the activities in the book are for all age groups and and the cooking is the kind of like the foundation of 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 an activity that we do together um puts us in this environment that we can kind of open up um uh, different topics now i'm going to ask you to do the impossible <laughs> which is Go ahead. Um, describe your core concept with this book. Wow! In 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 how many paragraphs? Um, well, so let's not do paragraphs. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. So this this book is it isn't a, it's not just a cookbook. It's not just a parenting book. It's not just an activity book. But it brings all of those three things together in a in a very concise easily readable um, book that that hopefully families you know and that can be from anywhere from you know a five four five six year old to a, an 18 year old and to the parents it really does kind of you know address many things um, so uh, you know we for example the recipes are, are some are tricky some are or not tricky but more elaborate and for the weekend when you want to have a you know when you want to spend more time making dishes like the short ribs or the we have a dish in there with the uh, lamb shanks or a chicken pot pie okay, um, I love the lamb shank. <laughs> oh my god it's, it's so good and it's so delicious and and then we have easier things that are like you can put together in 15 minutes like a tilapia or a salmon or um, you know a, a grilled cheese but hopefully you know these recipes are easily followed um, and everybody p- can participate you know it's not just one person doing one thing everybody can have a little go at something and this brings hopefully to the, the table um, a sense of ownership and, and uh, for young kids growing up in this world where they see everything you know packaged and, and convenient and um, ready-made this kind yeah. of brings it dulls it back a bit and and so that you know for example our elder kids love to cook both of them, and and even you the, see, that's the, the, the young one. Surprise for me! How much children love to get in the yes. kitchen and cook. Yes. That was my biggest uh, surprise ever. Right. I mean, with children yes. and grandchildren, the whole thing. But what mm-hmm. was your mm-hmm. big surprise? What did you learn out of all this? Well, I think one of the things that that we learned, and uh, a little a little anecdote is that um you know we our kids our eldest two would would bring home uh friends from school and you know the parents would call us up and say you know uh jane's coming over and um you know she loves pizza but you know she's not too keen on salad or something like that and we said okay that's fine thanks for letting us know so so anyway so we'd do the pizza and we'd also do a salad because our two girls love salads and and then all of a sudden the interesting thing was that that Jane as well she would try the salad and say oh wow mm-hmm. this is this is kind of good and then after seconds and so the 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 thing is is you know we we all kids learn by emulating their parents right so this is kind of how it works oh, so see, if you're I have eating... a different theory I have a different oh really theory. my theory is um, uh-huh. children um, react. And to negative examples. I mean, they react negatively to parents' examples. So, in other words, um, if you if you don't want them to do something, you assume the uh-huh. opposite, and they will rebel. Right. That that can definitely happen, and this isn't this isn't surefire. But the simple let let's say the simple thing like language, right? How do you learn a language? You learn a language through through speaking, through communication, and because you're copying the people around you because you want to communicate. Now, food is is obviously not as it's it's a vital part of of living, um, but it's also you know when when you're when you're cooking as a family, we try to you know take our kids to the grocery store we we show them the the produce we we uh, you know show them kind of what's good and you know how to choose an avocado or how to choose a watermelon for example so so then they take ownership and and when when we bring them back and we're doing something like a meatballs you know 
our son loves to make meatballs. You know, he he'd be rolling them in his hands and and what have you, and placing <laughs> them on the on the roasting tray. Now, at that point, he's taking ownership. He it, this is part of his work, and he's proud of it. And and when they come out of the oven, he's he's more inclined to try it than he was it would than he would be if they were just ready-made, prepared, and put on his plate. So this is kind of and and this is this is what we're kind of trying to bring to the you know the fore. Now, did, did the children um, ever realize that they were getting life's lessons when they were doing this? Hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> not, because then they then they would absolutely rebel against it. And your exactly. theory That's stands. What I was talking yeah, about. yeah. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> so, um, tell me about. Um, did they get their friends involved? Did it influence their interaction with friends? Um, in in cooking or in in the book? Well, I mean, I mean, they the, not everybody would be happy to come over and get put in a kitchen peeling potatoes. Right, 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 right. So yeah, you have to kind of choose your you choose your activities for the for the for the um that's a that's an interesting question we didn't do it so much for guests coming over it was more of a of a family um um activity mm-hmm. but that's not to say you know everybody's very when you know when you have people coming over everybody says oh can we help and uh-huh. and mostly you say oh no we got it we got it well you know you can say sure sure we need help and you can get other people involved in the process and so it, it becomes a, a more of a you know of an activity that everybody can enjoy um you know we we really were focusing on on this as a family activity but it can definitely be rolled out to to family and and and, and wider family you know grandparents and aunts and etc tell us about or our listeners about um, what you title your the well it's, it's a direction experiment with food versatility. Tell us what that involved and how did that work out? So experiment with with food. food I'm sorry, I, versatility. I, That's one of the oh problems. food. Oh, so so um, this was really um, talking about. Um, you know what different ways that you can use food and and how you can use them in different ways um you know it, it really it, it really hopefully kind of um just it it um hopefully it would uh, make people think a little bit more about about food and about um how how you use it um what what were your what you had some thoughts about that in in particular well, or yeah no i mean i i thought that the um for example um our granddaughter has some indian friends uh-huh. and um but she was and i blame all of this on pediatricians they had um a, a, a real tome of things that the kids should not eat because of this craziness over allergies um when right. they yeah and so um, she started out as a very picky eater, um, but right. she's really opened up and expanded. And part of it was because she had really good friends uh, and neighbors who were Indian, mm. and she mm. got to taste mm. different foods. Yes, yes. You know, this is this is really important. This is yeah. so important. And and um, you know, I you know, growing up in England, I certainly wasn't exposed to much <laughs> diversity uh, in my younger years. And then, you know, then I went off to France and, you know, I discovered um, offal and I discovered fabulous cheeses and, 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 you know, everything is used. You know, I used to go off to the woods on, on my day off and, and hunt wild mushrooms and what have you. So really, you know, there's, there's a passion there. There's a real fascination about, you know, where food comes from and how it how it arrives at your table um you know that's that i was you know lucky and i had that experience but but you can you know farmers markets and and um 
and and some of these really nice supermarkets uh, you can go into, you can really find some interesting things and, and experiment. You know, a lot of this is also experimentation and seeing what you like and you like as a family. Um, so that even though we have recipes in here, you know, you can, you know, definitely what we recommend is that you kind of, you can um, change these recipes to really suit your family um, and, and what you guys really yeah, like I mean, to eat very and, and enjoy. You have a very broad canvas of, of food possibilities, which the average person wouldn't have. Right, right. But yeah, but you know that doesn't mean you know. For, and I'll give you an, I'll give you an, exa- an example of this. You know, I probably had sushi for the first time when I was I don't know twenty or something like that. Even maybe even later than that. And my son, who's six, you know, first had it when he was three. So that uh-huh. you know, because and he, and he loves it. And, and uh, you know, these are the experiences that, that are more open to people now than, than, than they were when, when I was growing up. So, um, and it's really interesting to, to... Peter has a cousin whose um, daughter was in the States and visited us. Um, she was an au pair. And uh-huh. so she was... She was grown. I mean, <laughs> young lady. Um, right. She couldn't believe when she saw beetroot because her only experience with, I mean, we had whole beets that we put on the grill. Her right, only right, experience right. with beetroot was cut up in a plastic bag. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, this is... So these are the things. These are the these are the experiences that we can we can bring to to children and and make it part of our daily you know our daily meal time. Uh, and we also understand that that people are stressed for time. People are uh, have many obligations. Um, but you know, trying to kind of work with fresh produce and fresh ingredients. I mean, A, they're healthier most of the time. B, they cost less than, than buying prepackaged, ready-made stuff. And C, there's a connection you can make with your kids when you're preparing. I mean, it really is a win-win. And they're also learning life lessons. So when they're growing up, they know how to do this. They, they, this is a skill that they've learned, and they've tried and tested it at home in a safe environment. And then when they go and they're out on their own, then this will be their go-to rather than just going to, the, you know, to something pre-made. Uh, what, what, are you cooking now? I'm at the restaurant. I'm in my office at the restaurant, yeah. You're in, you're in you're in you're in New York. I mean, where, I'm I'm right in the heart of New York. Yes, absolutely. Where where should where should we send our listeners? Oh, okay. So I'm actually at the uh, New Yorker Hotel, which is on Thirty um, Fourth Street and Eighth Avenue. It's a fabulous thousand room hotel um, that was built in 1937 or it was finished in 1937 wow. has a wonderful, wonderful history. Um, and I am in charge of two restaurants here. One is called, uh, Trattoria Bianca, which is on the corner of 35th street and 8th Avenue. And the other one is a secret, um, steakhouse, which is under, um, is, is underground. It's in the vault space of the old bank that used to be here. Uh-huh. And that's called butcher and banker. So okay. both those, we, both those, yeah, sorry, Butcher and Banker, yeah, Butcher and Banker, yeah, go ahead. A chef friend who's just um, opening a, a secret private room that is, goes back to the roast prime rib of beef days and all the stuff. Wow, with oh that. my gosh, yeah. oh my gosh, Super that's so expensive, good. super private, yeah. Wow, Let me go on. wow, I, I that's good. I wasn't, I wasn't finished because you, okay. you're, you're in... What is emerging as one of the best food-oriented cities in the world, called London? We've 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 been there yes. almost every, almost every almost every year for ten years until mm-hmm. the COVID till COVID came along. Right. Are you are, are you sufficiently aware that you could tell our listeners some of your secret places in London that they might try? Oh my goodness! You know, I haven't been back to the UK for six years, so okay. I well, am not familiar. 
Yeah, no, I am, I am, I, I'm dying to get back because I need to get, I need to recharge my batteries. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I miss, I, you know, I worked in London for, for quite some time. I was at the, uh, it was then the Meridian Hotel right off Piccadilly. Um, okay. And we were opposite um, Simpsons in, uh, no, um, yeah, we were opposite Simpsons. Anyway, so we were right there on, on Piccadilly. And um, so it was a real, you know, this was back in, oh gosh, the late, uh, late 90s. And, and I, you know, I had the most wonderful, wonderful time there. Um, and it was from, from that that I went off to France and, and, and you know, kind of, um, uh, I, you know, gave my life to this, this profession. Well, it's, um, it's certainly a, a challenge um, for you to be raising a family, living through the pandemic, um, having such a spread in ages. <laughs> you hardly have time to catch up with what you missed from the <laughs> first two <laughs> for the, the uh, next one. Let me do this amount of favor. We'll, 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 give you, we'll give you a recommendation. Oh, good. Yes, please. The, sh- the chef is Simon Rogan. And he's, okay. He's most famous for having three Michelin stars in a in a restaurant in what used to be a, a, a an ironworker's shop in Cartmel, Cumberland. His name is Simon Rogan. R O G A N. All right. And and where where's his restaurant? Is that in 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 the in London? He has he has, he has one he has one in London. He he did it as amazingly as a six month duration pop up. Wow. Wow. Then, 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 then he was at the restaurant in uh, Claridge's Hotel. Oh, right. Okay. He took he took over that space from Gordon Ramsay. Right, 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 right. And 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 I, and I hear that our New York uh, chef has taken it over recently. Um, Daniel Hum has taken the Claridge's. No, he got he got fired. Yeah. Oh, he got fired. Okay. He, he got fired. We we won't go. But, we won't, we won't go. go no, we're not. We won't go <laughs> right, right. Let's not go there. Well, I mean, hey, who who knew that you'd get a Michelin star for a vegan restaurant? That's start with that. Three, three. He got three for for um, his place in New York. Stars for yes, a yes, yes. Amazing. That cost that much money. Well. Yep. But, yep. Oh. Well, it's. I'm still waiting for the fallout from everything because I don't think we've seen it yet and I, I really don't know of any sector um, of our economy or culture that's been hit as hard as uh, restaurants and hospitality oh. in general but particularly restaurants yes. Yes. and I, I'm yes. just waiting to see I mean we have really talented chef friends who can't get anybody mm. to work in the kitchen and I mean, it's oh. just—I don't know where everything is going to. You're end preaching up to you. the choir. I. This is my life. This is what I live with daily. I mean, and it is a—it's a real headache. I mean, it was—it was, you know, it was tricky before, but now it's—it's it's nigh impossible. And you know, with the cost of produce going up, the cost of of raw ingredients, you know, going through the roof, and and the the still the lack of of customers it's really it's very very tricky and then to you know when things are picking up very difficult to find help so it's it's yes. a daily it's a constant issue yeah well i it's, mean it's, part it's, of it is of course i mean you, you've managed to create a life given your your i, I wouldn't say conflicting schedules but there there is a big difference in in a chef's schedule and yes. and a uh, psych psychologist schedule <laughs> raising right. family. Oh yeah. yeah, well she she uh, you know she's a professor she's a, she's a professor at uh, Long Island University so she has these you know four months off in the summer and then you know six weeks off in the winter for for, for Christmas and what have you so um, it's really I mean it's we're very lucky in that respect I mean that she's very busy doing other stuff as well but um, you know she does have that flexibility busy times too. <laughs> of course, yes. Oh my gosh, this is my busy, busy time. Yes, indeed. Yes. 
Well, I, I, I think this is a really interesting book. I mean, to take the time to put all of this together. I mean, everybody probably has experienced a bit of it um, over this pandemic, but you put it all together. And you couldn't have done that if you didn't have these diverse um, interests of education. <laughs> so I commend right. you on getting that together. And uh, again, listeners, it's called Eating Together, Being Together. And that, I mean, just think about that a, a minute. Eating together and being together, because a lot of us can eat together without being together. A lot of us don't even mm-hmm. eat together. So you fit, especially while you're trying to raise children. So yeah. Julian, uh, is it Klaus Elders? And, Klaus he is, yes. And then uh, Carolyn is, is your Caroline. wife. Is the, yes. yes. So um, I wish you much success with this book. And uh, and you're, on, you're not even close to empty nesters yet, so you have a long way to go. <laughs> I dream. I dream of that day. <laughs> and one, one word, uh, one word of advice is, mm, they come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, and, and, and Peter, thank you so much for, for um, talking with me today. It's been a real, real pleasure. And, and I hope uh, your many listeners um, appreciate um, you know some of the things that we have in our book and and i really do appreciate the the time that you've spent with me today thank you too bye-bye julian bye-bye thank you